Um, good evening, everyone. Um, this has nothing to do with politics per se. But before we get started this evening, I'm just going to request that um, yesterday was the 50th anniversary of the uh, assassination of Martin Luther King Jr. Along with that, we spent the last week um, dealing with the killing of a young black man in Sacramento. And so we've spent the last 50 years fighting against something like that. So I'm just going to ask before we get started that at least we can take a moment of silence to um, honor that day. Thank you. everyone welcome welcome and thank you for being with us tonight April 5th 2018 for this candidate forum introducing the candidates for California State Assembly District 15 am I being heard pretty well across the room yes in the back good I'm Moni Flores Bauer with the League of Women Voters of Oakland the League of Women Voters is a trusted nonpartisan organization that encourages the informed and active participation in government. We do not oppose or support candidates or parties. The advocacy arm of the League may take positions on issues such as ballot measures. This forum is presented by the Voter Services and Education arm of the League, which does not take positions. We have three official hosts tonight the League of Women Voters of Berkeley, Albany, Emeryville, the League of Women Voters of Oakland, and the Coalition for Police Accountability. I'd like to remind everyone that the candidates and all of our sponsoring groups have agreed to the guidelines for this forum, and the guidelines are posted here this evening. As a matter of courtesy, we're asking you all to please switch all your devices to silence and please be aware that campaign literature and other forms of campaigning, such as t-shirts and buttons and signs, are not permitted in the room in order to maintain neutrality. We are videotaping tonight's forum, and the session will be available on YouTube for broader community access. You can find links to this video at lwvoakland.org or at lwv bae.org or through votersedge.org forward slash ca. You can also live tweet tonight as we're conducting our forum at lwbae or at lwb underscore Oakland. We have one forum tonight and 12 candidates. I'd like to introduce the candidates for Assembly District 15. Please hold your applause. With us, or not with us tonight, is Judy Appel, but um, we have a, a statement from her. 
We have Mr. Bartlett, Ben Bartlett, Jovanka Beckles, Mr. Pranav Jandayala is not here, Dan Kalb, Andy Katz, Rochelle Pardue Okimoto, Sergei Petterman, Owen Poindexter, Cheryl Sadaf, Raquel Feynman, and Buffy Wicks. Let's go over a few ground rules. While there are many candidates, our intent tonight is to give our audience the opportunity to hear a variety of questions from all the candidates. As audience members arrived, we had volunteers going around with cards. Those are question cards. And so these are for you to fill out and submit to the volunteers. They will be screened to avoid duplication or any specific questions to individual candidates. If you would like to submit a question, just raise your hand and one of our volunteers will come over and bring you a card and then they will collect it and they will be um, screened and, and brought up. Each candidate today will have a one and a half minute for opening remarks. The order was determined by drawing lots. The timekeepers here tonight, our volunteers, will be signaling to the candidates when their time is near to be done and, and to stop. So they have a sign that says 30 seconds. Can you hold that up higher, please? 30 seconds. And another one that says stop. <laughs> the order of answering questions will be alternated and each round of candidates will have one minute to respond to each question. Again, timekeepers will be keeping um, time and, and signaling them. There will not be any rebuttals. In order to stay within our time frame and to hear from all the candidates, we will be posing the first round of questions to a group of candidates. The second question will go to a next round of candidates and so on. This means that not all candidates will be answering all questions. However, the candidates that are not part of a round of questions may choose to use a wild card to give a one-minute answer to a question that they're really interested in. Each candidate has two cards. There's no significance about the color, but you'll see that they all have two wild cards. So if they choose to answer a question that's not part of their round, they can do so by holding up a wild card. They're not obligated to use a wild card. So each candidate has two, and they can uh, step in and ask, answer a question for one minute that has not been directly asked of them. So again, our volunteers are charting the use of the wild card. You see that poster over there, the red and the yellow? So that way it's pretty clear and easy for me, too, to be able to track this. So following the questions, each candidate will have one and a half minutes each for a closing statement. So now, let's get started with opening statements. There will be 12 candidates listed on your June 5th primary ballot for this assembly seat, which encompasses two counties from Alameda and Contra Costa, from Hercules all the way to Piedmont. Candidate Judy Appel 
could not attend this evening's forum, and according to our agreed-upon rules, she was invited to send a one-and-a-half-minute statement, which I'm going to read now in a one-and-a-half-minute slot. And I'll be watching the sign. Judy Appel has worked for decades in our public schools as an advocate for health care in schools, as a parent volunteer, and now in her second term on the Berkeley School Board. She is ready to lead the charge in Sacramento on progressive issues to represent a District 15. On that Berkeley School Board, Judy has championed policies to close the achievement gap, help build career technical education programs, and championed anti-bullying legislation that has served as a blueprint for programs nationally. Judy spearheaded efforts to provide affordable housing for the district's educators. She's been a champion for early childhood education and works statewide to make health care available on school campuses. She is endorsed by the California Teachers Association, the California Federation of Teachers, the Berkeley Federation of Teachers, and the Peralta Federation of Teachers, former state senator Lonnie Hancock, and hundreds of community leaders. A co-founding board member of the Ella Baker Center for Human Rights, Judy has worked to change our criminal justice system. Was that my sign? At the Drug Policy Alliance, Judy fought to reduce the harm caused by unfair drug enforcement policies aimed at communities of color and women. On the Berkeley School Board, she has championed restorative justice programs working to end prison, school-to-prison pipeline. Ella Baker Center co-founder Van Jones and civil rights icon Eva Patterson endorsed Judy for her work in the criminal justice system. And now we'll begin with opening statements in the order of the lots that were drawn this evening. And that will begin with a one and a half minute opening statement from Ms. Wicks. Hi everyone, thank you so much for being here today and um, I'm honored to be here with you. My name is Buffy Wicks, Buffy's my real name in case you wanna know. Uh, I come from a very humble upbringing here in California, grew up in a, in a trailer in the Sierra Nevada foothills. Um, I'm a proud product of the California public school system including uh, going to the California Community College, my, my local community college. Um, I've been working in progressive politics for about 20 years as a grassroots organizer. Uh, I was organizing in the anti-war movement uh, here in the Bay Area against the, the Iraq war. I was an organizer for Howard Dean's presidential campaign. Uh, I organized in the labor movement, um, uh, fighting for better health care and better wages for Walmart workers. And I helped develop President Obama's organizing model and worked for him for six years, um, including working for him in the White House, helping to pass the Affordable Care Act, working on student loan reform, and many other key uh, critical issues that have huge impacts on, our, on folks here. Um, I currently run a statewide initiative um, uh, organizing parents for um, better policies around um, public education um, and better paid, leave fam family, paid, uh, paid family leave policies. Um, I believe that I have the leadership skills and the experience to go to Sacramento to drive a progressive agenda to really fundamentally attack our homelessness crisis, our housing issues, the inequities that exist within our education system, uh, and ensure that all folks have health care among many other really important issues. I've been endorsed by Kamala Harris, Gavin Newsom, Alex Padilla, the East Bay Express, and many other great local community leaders. And more importantly, I've had over 102 house parties across this district and am running a very aggressive grassroots campaign. I look forward to the conversation and I would be honored to have your support. Thank you. Good evening, my name is Owen Poindexter. I've been fighting for progressive causes and progressive candidates for about 10 years. And I'm in this race because I think we need bolder solutions. I think our politicians need to really address the problems that we're facing right now. And we live in a state where people are working two or three jobs just to meet their very basic needs. 
We have a healthcare system that privileges the rich over the poor. And 40%, 40% of people in California are either in poverty or near poverty. So I think we need some big structural change. And for me, that starts with ensuring that everyone who lives here has a basic standard of well-being, no matter who you are, where you're from, or even your ability to hold a job. So for me, that means universal health care, affordable housing, really act, bold action on affordable housing, not just halfway measures, and a universal basic income. There are a lot of ways to take care of people, and we've tried just about everything other than just giving people money. But it's proven to be the most effective, most efficient way to lift people up. People, uh, kids get better grades. They stay in school longer. They're more likely to finish high school and go to college. You see better outcomes on health care. You see um, uh, people um, are able to stay in their homes longer. Crime goes down. And so we need big, bold solutions like this. We are paying so much for the symptoms of poverty. Let's try investing in people and seeing what happens when we lift people up and let them take the magic from there. Thank you. Thank you. <clears throat> My name is Ben Bartlett. I'm vice mayor of the city of Berkeley. And I'm running because everyone deserves a home. And I mean that. You see, my grandfather was the first black realtor in Northern California. And on the day they passed the Fair Housing Act, someone took a brick and threw it into his office window in Berkeley, right in the middle of the party. And see, growing up, that brick sat in my living room as a reminder of what we're going through, what we have to overcome. And we still overcome. We still have to come over, overcome it now because the housing is not fair. There's a new racism, a new poverty, and the status quo is failing us. Now I'm a fifth-generation native, son of a black panther from a long line of activists. I'm also an activist for 20 years. I've helped save libraries, ban plastic bags, save soldier children in Africa. I'm a environmental lawyer, where I make good green jobs all over the country. And as Vice Mayor Berkeley, I've authored 45 laws, including first in the nation to divest from Trump's border wall, first in the state for buy-right affordable housing, paid family leave. The list goes on and on and on. Now, as proud as I am of those accomplishments, it's just a start. We need more. We need to come together and take that brick and make it the cornerstone of a new ethic. Because each one of us des deserves opportunity, and each one of us deserves, uh, deserves dignity, if nothing else. And we certainly deserve a home. Thank you. Thank you. Buenas noches. Good evening. I've been a a federal contracts and compliance officer for the last 25 years. Along with that, I've spent the last 25 years working in the community um, with the ACLU, the Racial Justice Coalition, the Immigrants' Rights Alliance, but also working in our schools and working as a, a STEM volunteer with students, working not only with my own children, but with other children. And one of the reasons I'm running is this. There's a quote that says, our lives begin to end the moment when we see injustice, but we don't do something about it. A lot of people were upset in 2016, and they let that piece of, of what happened in November kind of paralyze them. I didn't just become upset in 2016. I let, I, okay, let me just tell you this. I have a vocal cord condition that took away my voice for three years. And I decided that instead of letting that hamper me, I was going to make a decision 
that I was going to help people who didn't have a voice, who felt like their voice was muted, who felt like their voice wasn't be, being heard, that I was going to take that voice. And regardless of the volume of my voice, I was never going to let people feel like they don't have a voice. And I'm going to make sure that they will never be let, left behind. Hi, I'm Javanka. I'm an out black Latina immigrant. I'm a skilled mental health specialist with an MBA. I'm a proud teamster. I believe we're here to care for each other and the planet. For eight years, I've served on the Richmond City Council and I've helped turn Richmond into a much more livable, healthy, happy, thriving community. Of the 12 candidates running, why should you vote for me? I'll tell you. I've crafted legislation inspired from the grassroots up, not from the top down. I take no corporate donations. I'm trained to listen and responsively help people. That's what I've done in Richmond and that's what I'll do for you in Sacramento. As a mental health counselor, I know that hope kicks the soul into motion. When I went into politics, Richmond felt pretty hopeless to many. Replacing a deeply corrupt city government, we raised the minimum wage, fostered a national model of community policing, helped citizens returning from prison to reintegrate into the community, and we worked for housing justice. I ensured access to education for our youth by saving Kennedy High School from closing. I have an open heart and mind, along with nerves of steel, and I get things done. 8015 is large and diverse. I know how to work with people with diverse backgrounds and perspectives. That's what I do for a living. We're stronger when we work together. I will fight with you for a living wage to reform the criminal justice system, to fight for free quality health care, child care, college for all, to ban fracking, to push for more tourism on charter schools in order to save our public schools, and to continue to work for housing justice for our communities. Javanka.org. Thank you so much. Hello. Good evening. Uh, my name is Raquel Thamen, and I'm running for this seat because I want to represent the district that my family has called home for generations. And even though I have a lot of history here, my concerns are for the future. Uh, as a mother of three, I want what we all want for our kids. I want safe neighborhoods and safe parks. I want good schools and a healthy environment. And I really want the kids of the 15th district to be able to afford to live in their own towns when they grow up. As an attorney at the Homeless Action Center, I understand issues about housing security and economic injustice. I understand that our social safety nets are woefully inadequate, and I understand that we are in the middle of a bona fide housing emergency in this area. I will fight not only to increase affordable housing, but to help low-income and very low-income families actually own the homes they live in, thus being somewhat inoculated against the, the housing prices and gentrification. As a former public school teacher, I'm dedicated to public education. I will fight to restore historical funding streams to our schools, close the achievement gap, dismantle the cradle to prison pipeline, and I will fight to have our kids trained so that they can compete in the Bay Area's competitive and dynamic job market. And finally, as a cancer survivor, <laughs> I understand how important easy access to good medical care is, and I will fight hard to make sure everyone has that. Thank you. Thank you, and we appreciate you putting the microphone very close to your mouth. Thank you. Ms. Padre Good evening, everyone. My name is Rochelle Pardue Okimoto. 
I am the mayor pro tem for the city of El Cerrito. It's been an honor to serve on the city council. One of my first actions on the city council was to oppose the expansion of the West County Jail. We should not be holding ICE detainees while expanding the jail. Instead, we should put, be putting our money into mental health care services for outpatient. We made El Cerrito a sanctuary city. As a commissioner in El Cerrito, I started a Stop Hate campaign in 2016. I also started a celebration in our town, recognizing the equality of all races, marriage equality, human equality. It's been an honor to serve because most kids that grow up like me don't get to serve on a city council. When I was young, I bounced back and forth between my grandparents and my mother because she had an addiction problem. Fortunately, she was able to clean herself up, and I was able to grow up with my grandparents and go on to college. I've served for 17 years as a nurse at Alta Bates Hospital. I will fight in Sacramento for single-payer health care, education for all, stop the school-to-prison pipeline. It is for these, as well as many other reasons, that our assembly member, Tony Thurman, has given me his personal endorsement. I ask for your endorsement as well. Thank you. Welcome. Uh, and for those of you who don't live in North Oakland, welcome to North Oakland. You're, you're welcome here anytime. Um, my name is Dan Kolb. As many of you know, I'm the uh, city council member for District 1, which includes all of North Oakland, and I'm very proud to be in my second term on the Oakland City Council. I'm running for uh, many reasons. One of the reasons I'm running, uh, I'm running on, uh, in large part, my experience. Uh, it's important to note that running for office is not just about um, making you feel good or promising this or promising that, and everybody, everybody, what everybody says is, is very sincere, no question about it, is about who's gonna be able to be most effective in Sacramento. I have 30, over 30 years experience working on public policy, organizing as an advocate, organize, organizer, activist, including 10 full years actually in Sacramento, commuting from here to Sacramento, working on legislation, crafting complex legislation on renewable energy, good government issues, a whole, uh, affordable housing, consumer protection, a whole range of things. So I have that experience actually on the ground in Sacramento with success on complex issues. I'm also very proud of my accomplishments here in Oakland. As a city council member, I took the lead on stopping the coal trains and making sure the coal terminal doesn't get built in Oakland and worked with the coalition to do that. And many of you know, uh, also as a city council member, I worked with the Police Accountability Coalition and took the lead in City Hall on creating a police commission for the first time in the city of Oakland. Very proud of that as well. There's a lot of work we have to do. I'm running on my experience, and I know that being an effective council member, it's not about glitz and glory and, and high-profile press releases. It's a lot of good, hard, sometimes behind-the-scenes tedious work on very complex matters, and that's the kind of work that I'm very good at. I ask for your support. Thank you. Hi, good evening, League of Women Voters and community members. I'm Andy Katz. I'm a 12-year member of the East Bay Municipal Utility District Board of Directors representing North Oakland, Berkeley, Albany, Emeryville, Kensington, uh, and El Cerrito. And uh, I'm also a workers' rights attorney fighting for uh, uh, people who have been impacted by wrongful termination, uh, employment discrimination, harassment, uh, unsafe workplaces, uh, many other issues uh, that affect working people. Uh, I've also advocated in Sacramento on clean air, clean energy, and access to health care. 
And in the 20 years that I've lived in Berkeley, I've advocated for tenants' rights and affordable housing, campaigned to protect open space, and to clean up our air. I fought to provide a safety net for low-income households so that the most vulnerable can afford water. And I took on the big banks when they tried to turn off the water on families during the foreclosure crisis. These are the values that I want to take to Sacramento to represent the 15th Assembly District. As a statewide public health advocate, I worked to pass new standards for clean energy, cleaning up trucks and buses, implementing essential health benefits under uh, the Affordable Care Act. And at, I, I also uh, fight every day for workers impacted by uh, discrimination, wage theft, uh, and health insurance denials as a workers' rights attorney. We need leaders in Sacramento who will continue to push California towards a strong future for our environment, our schools, and our community. In the assembly, I will put my experience as a workers' rights lawyer to work for you so that we can fight for single-payer health care, increasing funding for our public schools, and strengthening our climate protection laws. Uh, good evening. Uh, thank you all for having me here tonight. Um, my name is Sergey. I'm a software engineer, and I studied biology and economics at UC Berkeley. Um, I'm running because I think we can all agree that the devices that we all hold, and I see at least three of you <laughs> using right now, uh, have radically changed our world. And technology will continue to radically change how we live and how we do things. Um, it's, it's scary to me that uh, our system hasn't been fundamentally changed since we started it, essentially. And I'm running because out of all the people here, I think I'm the youngest candidate. Um, and so I'm going to be affected for the longest by the system that we currently have. Uh, so I'm, what I'm pushing for is to modernize. I think we need to update our democracy. I think we need to use the devices that we uh, that we all have now these days to make our voices heard and to organize. Um, and I'm running on a platform called Liquid Democracy, which is to bring the best parts of direct and representative democracy together. And by using modern technology, social networking. I think we can see that it heavily impacted the last election in 2016. And because of that, we have the president who we have, is he was able to leverage social networks so effectively. So uh, that's my platform. And if you'd like to learn more, go to united.vote. Do you support, Ms. Sutta, this goes to you first. Do you support Assembly Bill 931, co-authored by Assembly Members Weber and McCarty, that would change the standard to authorize deadly force only when it is necessary to prevent imminent death or serious bodily injury? The goal is to encourage officers to try to defuse confrontations or to use less <coughs> deadly weapons. This is a one-minute answer for all the questions. Yes, I supported. It was actually just introduced. And um, the, the, the goal is to, in, in my opinion, is to stop killing young black and brown men who seem to be most affected by the use of deadly force. Um, and since lately it's been open season on uh, young black and brown men and they seem to be gunned down as if they're runaway slaves, I, I wholeheartedly support it. I have two young men of color, and um, 
I support this one along with um, uh, Nancy Skinner's new bill of um, uh, 1421, which also is an accountability bill that says that we need to have uh, insight into the officer's background. The reason why this assembly bill is also important is because we also need to make sure that if officers are acquitted of any kind of crime, they also need to be held accountable to a higher standard that says that even if you are not held accountable, then you have not used reasonable judgment in your job. So you need to lose your job anyway. Thank you. Um, of course, as you would imagine, as someone who is a target of police, I certainly support uh, the measure. And as a matter of fact, I was rushing to get an official letter of support from my office and the Berkeley City Council in general uh, for both Ms. Skinner's uh, item and also uh, Ms. Weber's. So I do support them, and officially next Tuesday we'll be voting on them to announce to the whole state that we support it. And you know that Berkeley is the home of the nation's first police review commission, and I served on it. And I, knew this, I know this issues very well. And when this man shot 16 bullets into this young black man in the backyard without a weapon, uh, that was coming from uh, a, a culture of deep racism and deep pain and hardcore militaristic weapon retraining. So we're working hard to create a new paradigm for police training in this country. And we'll be unveiling it next month. So this is very serious. And finally, we got some action from Sacramento. Hopefully it passes. Uh, yes, I absolutely support this bill. This should be a no-brainer. Um, and the only reason that we even have to pass legislation like this is because we have a police force who are, you know, they're human and they have all the same flaws as, as anyone else. And um, these problems have been there. You know, the racial discrimination in the police force has been a problem since the beginning. Um, and we're only really reconciling with it, at least, you know, white people are only really reconciling it, and I include myself in this, because everyone's carrying a camera around with them right now. And so we're actually starting to see what it is like for, for everyone else. And there's a reason why I am not worried about something like what happened in Sacramento happening to me or to my family. And it's not because I'm, I'm better than anyone else or I'm more law-abiding. It's simply because of the color of my skin. And so yes, this is a, a good starting measure that should have been in there already, and I hope it passes quickly. Um, but we need to do a lot more to have more accountability in the police force and to start to have better race relations, frankly, in the state. Yes, so I understand this bill has been controversial for some, but so are the deaths of the young black and brown men across this country that we're seeing. Um, and I think that this bill is, starts a very important conversation around figuring out what is the appropriate use of force because we have major racial inequities that exist within uh, our criminal justice system and within our policing. But we also have to do more than just that. Um, I also support Nancy Skinner's bill, um, which I think is another important step in terms of some transparency around when these issues happen. Um, the public needs to know about it. I support um, uh, body cameras. Um, I think those are very, very critical. So we, again, provide some insight to the community around what uh, police are doing. Uh, we also, I believe, need more um, de-escalation training and as well as implicit bias training. The truth of the matter is we all have implicit bias. 
Everyone in this room has implicit bias. The difference is we're not police officers carrying guns, right? And so we have to have the implicit bias training. Um, our police desperately need it. And we have to rebuild the trust um, uh, in our communities. And I think that starts with many of these measures as well as um, uh, community policing and many other critical ideas that I think we have to uh, address. Yes, I would support uh, this bill. Um, okay. Yes, I would support this. Um, I grew up in an unusual situation. I was, I'm African-American, half African-American. I was raised by my ca Caucasian grandparents. And so I grew up in a world that was very Caucasian. And now that I'm older, I decided to move to the Bay Area because I love the diversity here. I felt at home here. But my first deep experience of worrying deeply about racism is now that I have a son, he looks like me. And I worry so much about him and, and what may happen to him as he grows. And so yes, I support this and uh, Assemblymember McCarty and Weber have both personally given me their personal endorsement uh, the California Legislative Black Caucus has endorsed my candidacy because if one of us up here does not win, there will be one less caucus member, um, and that means only Barbara Lee will be the only elected official uh, that's a legislator in the state of California, Northern California. Thank you. I absolutely support it, um, and as one of our... Uh, the candidates mentioned, uh, we have to go farther. We have to go f further than that. Uh, in Richmond, what we did was the moment uh, someone ends up in the hospital, we have an ordinance that says it's an automatic investigation. Now, it doesn't really matter whether police are wearing cameras or not. It doesn't really matter if you're telling them that there are standards for uh, deadly force if the police officer's bill of right is not reformed. Because that is really what protects bad cops. That's the stuff that's keeping them from being uh, put in jail uh, and from being convicted for murder, which is what we're seeing. We're seeing a modern day lynching of, of black and brown men. And so one of the things that I intend to work on is that we, we, have, to, we have to reform the Police Officers' Bill of Rights. California is one of, of many, but it isn't something that all states have. And so California is a state that doesn't need it. Just like other, other professionals, uh, we, we don't have these kinds of protections and, and neither should bad ad apples. Yes, I would definitely support this bill, um, and I do support it. Um, so in El Cerrito, we have already moved uh, towards renewable energy. We have signed on with Moran Clean Energy, and it's growing um, throughout Contra Costa County as we speak. 
And there is the option, all of our council members have signed on for 100% renewable. Um, and I, we've, we can constantly encourage all of our citizens um, and residents to sign on to 100% renewable. Uh, within my own household, we've um, also gone 100% um, in terms of we've got our solar panels, we have our electric car. Uh, it's the way of the future, it's what we need to move forward. Um, my only concern is that as we move towards these renewable energies is to make sure that it's affordable for everyone so that everyone, no matter what their income level, can participate. Um, I would absolutely support this bill. It's the only way forward. Uh, we have um, we have this large stretch of coastline, and we will be directly impacted by rising sea levels and ameliorating any anything we can do to ameliorate the effects of climate change uh, is absolutely vital. There's there's no other way but to support this. Um, I absolutely support it as well. Um, that's the short answer. Um, the, the longer answer, of course, is that we really don't have time. Um, and so I, I would actually support um, the, I would support uh, us bringing this into fruition a lot sooner than, than the current uh, date that is, that is posed on, on this bill. Um, Richmond, we've been, we have been on the forefront of renewable energy. We are a deep green city through our joint powers agreement with uh, Marin, Marin General. Um, we, we don't have time for these incremental long-term changes. We need radical changes right now. We need to ban fracking right now. Um, there's so many uh, ways that we can work towards um, keeping our planet alive. Uh, we, we just heard the other day that uh, this hurricane season is going to be more active than in past years. And if that's not a sign that we need to take radical uh, changes in, you know, right away, um, I don't know what is. So I absolutely support this bill. Thank you very much. Uh, of course, I support this bill. I, I'm proud to have been the lead environmental lobbyist prior to being a council member when I worked with the Union of Concerned Scientists on what was then the 33% renewable electricity requirement. And that bill now is at, now we're at 50 and hopefully we'll go to 100. So, but it's not just important to, to say you support the bill. It's electricity policy and clean energy is one of the most complex areas of public policy that we have in our state. And I've worked on that for 15 years, worked on climate policy for 20 years. I'm the person here who could be on the Assembly Utilities and Energy Committee to actually not just support the bill, but actually do the hard work behind the scenes to get that bill from idea from where it is now, which is kind of stalled, to actually getting it passed. And so I'm going to make that a high priority. I have a lot of experience working on climate issues. I'm going to continue to work on climate, energy, other environmental issues. And I use my expertise. And I'll have to say that right now, there is virtually nobody in the state assembly who has that long-standing background and in, in, in expertise and comes from the environmental community. I hope to fill that void. If I have your support, I'll be able to do that. So yes, it's a high priority for me. Thank you. Yes, I thoroughly support Senate Bill 100, and I'm also very concerned that uh, the current dynamics in the state legislature are not allowing that bill to proceed this year. I think that the time couldn't be more urgent than now, 
in terms of uh, the, the time that our planet has to stabilize our climate. I worked on uh, renewable energy and clean air issues as an advocate in the legislature for uh, about a decade, uh, working on uh, the, the efforts to expand renewable energy in the renewable portfolio standard, advocated at the California Public Utilities Commission on implementing the RPS, on implementing uh, new clean energy storage uh, requirements, and that's the work that I'll continue to do in the state legislature. I'm concerned that Senate Bill 100 only requires a 60% RPS by the end of the decade and sets a more voluntary goal uh, to guide planning and guide efforts towards 100%. We need to have hard uh, deadlines for, for stronger procurement targets so that we're truly getting 100% of our energy to come from renewable, clean sources uh, as soon as possible. And that's the work that I'll work on uh, on the committees in the state legislature. Thank you. Uh, yes, I would support it 100%. And as a matter of fact, uh, in my capacity uh, at the, at the uh, California Clean Energy Fund at my job, I actually helped create that policy. And also before that, you know, my, my whole career has been about this. And I started off creating the Green Diamond Fund, um, worked on cap and trade, its launch, uh, the 5 million EV plan for the state of California, the largest uh, electric vehicle charging station outlay in California's history. Um, and, and, and also I had negotiated uh, California's first clean air technology trade agreement with California and China called the Pacific Clean Air Partnership. So this is something that I'm wholly dedicated to. On my website, Ben Bradley CA, you'll find a tab that says New Green Deal. My whole purpose is to launch green infrastructure in California and eliminate poverty through green jobs. Uh, yes, like everyone else, I strongly support this legislation. We should be a global leader on climate because if we're not going to do it, then, then no one else is. It's great that we've got some European countries making strong gains there, but we are the sixth largest economy in the world. We have the spending power, and we have the political will to do this, but we need people in the assembly who are actually going to push this. And also, that's a tremendously bold goal to be 100% renewable by 2045, and we're going to need help from everyone, everyone in the state, and that's going to mean market forces pushing us in this direction. So that means we're going to need to raise the price of carbon. However, that is essentially a regressive tax. When you make life more expensive for everyone, that hurts poor people the most. We can flip that around by introducing a carbon dividend. This was being proposed by Senators DeLeon and Wykowski last year. The idea is that you would impose a, a price on carbon, use the revenue from that, to, and just distribute it evenly among everyone else. That hits rich people a little bit because they consume more and they spend more, and, uh, and everyone else gets a little bit of a dividend, and we're raising the price of carbon and, uh, and fighting climate change. Um, that's a good question. Uh, someone who just graduated, I guess it's been four years now, um, from one of the top uh, public universities in the world. Um, I think the problem with our education system is a little bit deeper than making it free or not. Uh, one thing that's always um, confused me is why the cost is rising when technology should be making 
things like textbooks and lectures and uh, online delivery a lot cheaper. Um, but it's also just fundamentally like thinking about how we, uh, how we design our education system. Currently, I'm working for a startup that helps software engineers find jobs, um, which is probably the highest in demand STEM field. And they struggle um, because there's not a lot of like connection between finishing your education and actually finding a job. So I think we think about our education from the standpoint of like looking at it backwards from finding a job and then designing a curriculum around that. I think that would be a way of improving costs and overall improving our education system. We have a whole generation of young people who are graduating from college uh, or unable to even get to college, uh, but, but primarily I'm thinking of, of the people who go through college and, and graduate with uh, mounting student debt. And this is a big drag on our economy. It, it, it limits the ability of people to go into the careers that, that they choose. Uh, many, many people who I went through law school with felt like they were forced to uh, go through uh, a, a different kind of career path than working for, for the public interest. And I think it's very critical that we provide free higher education for uh, low and middle uh, uh, income uh, people and families. I think it's important to means test because of limited resources. If we, ha if we had the resources that we need uh, uh, to have in our state budget, I think we could afford free college for all, uh, but, but our priorities need to be to ha have college be affordable uh, for everybody, and that does mean uh, free tuition uh, or fees for, for low and middle income uh, families and households. Uh, so to, to pay for that, I would uh, increase the budget allocations that, uh, that, that we put towards this program. The legislature has taken a good first step for community college. We need to go further. As someone who uh, grew up in a trailer and worked in the White House, my pathway there was through the California Community College system. I'm, I'm probably one of the only candidates here who went to a California Community College, my local community college, so I value this institu institution tremendously. I think everyone who wants to have a four-year degree should have that opportunity, but not everyone wants or needs that, and we, ha we should have good, strong vocational programs at our community colleges to ensure folks are coming out with good skills and they're not costing them $100,000 in debt. Uh, we have to fundamentally go back to the spirit of our master plan that was created in 1960, that created our, our UC system, our CSU system, and our community college system that put California on the path to be the sixth largest economy in the world. We've got to invest in higher ed. It's very, very critical. Um, the funding for higher ed has gradually been decreasing over the course of time. Uh, right now, UC Berkeley only gets about 10% of its budget from the state. It's a state school that gets about 10% of its budget. Uh, we should be increasing more funds to our state schools. Um, we can do that one of two ways, either reallocate current resources, and since 1980 we spent, we've created 22 prisons and one new UC, or we can close the, the commercial loophole on Prop 13 and put more revenue into our schools. Thank you. Yes, I, I do support that. In fact, uh, Susan Eggman, a assembly member, had a bill last year that I got the Oakland City Council to endorse that would create a surtax on millionaires in California to pay for free totally free community colleges and substantially reduced tuition in our four-year public universities for all except maybe the most upper income uh, residents who go to those schools. And that's what we need to do. It's not just a matter of um, shaving off the tuition by 10%. That's still gonna be huge tuition with mounting debt and, and we, that's, that's not gonna solve our problem. We need to be uh, more serious about reducing tuition big time. We also need to make sure that people in school, in, in, in public school, 
get to college. And that's why I work with the school district in creating a program in OUSD schools, elementary schools, to reduce chronic absenteeism. We now have a joint partnership because of the call I made and the budget that I got into there uh, to make sure that those who are going to elementary schools actually stay in school. All the programs sound great. Programs don't mean anything in any school if the kids aren't in school. So I'm going to work from pre-K, K K through 12, community college. I used to work at a community college, uh, a warm place in my heart, and I absolutely support uh, reduced tuition. First of all, there can be no free community college, not that I'm going to support, until we make sure that pre-K through 12 is free for every resident in California. There are far too many children, especially children of color and children living in impoverished conditions that do not have adequate um, um, elementary school education and who are unable to afford to go to either community colleges or these four-year schools in California that are unable to get into these schools, these UCs have become elite institutions and they have a 1.5 to 3% improvement rate for admitting children of color. So I'm not paying for, for other people's children to go to the schools if, if, if children of color can't get into them. So no, I wouldn't approve anybody to have free education if everybody is not able to get into these schools. So until we can improve K through 12 or pre-K through 12, no, we're not proving any type of free education. Thank you. Question number four will go to, first to Ms. Thayman, Ms. Beckles, Ms. Pardue-Okimoto, and Ms. Suddeth. Question number four is, Senate Bill 10, the California Money Bail Reform Act of 2017. This was introduced by Senator Bob Hertzberg and other legislators. The bill will, will reform California's money bail system by ensuring that people are not kept in jail simply because they cannot afford, to bail, afford bail to buy their freedom. Do you support SB 10 or similar legislation? I would support this. Um, it, is, uh, it is a crisis in our criminal justice system that um, the, the poor are always impacted more harshly than those that have money. Any kind of fine or any, I'm sorry, any kind of fine or penalty necessarily punishes the poor far more than the rich. At a certain point, we've, we've gotten to where poverty itself is criminalized when people are being locked up because they can't pay a traffic infraction. Um, the money bail system is just a part of that, so I would I would um, support reforming that system. Thank you. Thank you for that that question because I absolutely support the uh, reforming the bail uh, bail bond system. In fact, I talk about it all the time. You can go to my website javanka.org and you will see that it's part of my platform to ending mass incarceration in in this state. But we need to do end mass incarceration throughout this country. But we can definitely start in our state, in our district. Uh, and part of ending mass incarceration, part of reforming the criminal justice system, is reforming the bail bond. You should not be in jail because you couldn't afford. Uh, you, you know, you shouldn't be in jail because you couldn't afford bail. And I started uh, a hashtag say her name on Facebook because uh, um, Sandra Bland. It, she, I see myself in her. She was a young woman graduating from school, ready to start her job, was stopped 
what driving while black, and she ended up dying because she couldn't afford that $2,000 bail. And that's part of reforming the bail bond system, what we absolutely have to do. Uh, there are other ways of reforming it, but this one is a great start, and I absolutely support it. Yes, um, I would definitely support it. Uh, criminal justice reform is also something that I'm very passionate about. Um, from my upbringing, I saw what it was like to be very poor when I was with my mother. And I know that during that time, you know, she's a white woman, so she didn't get caught up in the criminal justice system. And white women are very unlikely to get caught up in the criminal justice system. But as I said before, you know, now I have my sons who I very much worry about and I wouldn't want them caught up in the criminal justice system. But I know that they probably won't because I'm a middle-class person. But what about the poor? The poor folks are the ones that you know, end up not being able to pay, pay the bail, not being able to pay off their tickets, getting a record, getting out, unable to get a job. So I, re I definitely support bail reform as well as uh, other criminal justice reforms such as uh, licensing requirements after you're released. Thank you. Thank you. Ms. Suttis. Um, as a member of the ACLU board and also in, as um, the Contra Costa uh, Racial Justice Coalition, we've been dealing with, we've been working on criminal justice, um, and, and I'm not going to say reform, but I'm going to say the criminal injustice system rebuild because reform gives you the impression that there's something going right with the system. But um, this debt-free system of justice, there's a couple of things that you need to know. So um, the, the, the Humphrey case really builds on that civil rights. Uh, you know, we're working with them to make sure that there's a true, truly racial justice lens that's being applied to what's happening with the, with the Humphrey case. And in that, we want a debt-free justice system that doesn't... Uh, still leave people in debtor's prison and that you cannot just write off the debt and there's 20 years and that it's equity, efficacy, and justice that's being applied. So we're working with that civil rights core to make sure that that happens and that there's resources available and that there's a lot more that goes into that and not just, um, it's not just the bail, but that there's also when people are let out that um, when they look at if there's a, a um, if there's a danger to society that that's also there's a racial justice lens applied to that as well. I'm going to use my last extra, extra yellow card here because I just got to say this one. This is why I'm here. This is ultimately why I'm running because all of my people who are from this exact neighborhood are gone because they've been nickel and dimed out of existence. That's why they're not sitting in this room next to you. Now, the, the, of course, the money bill, we got to get rid of it, but it goes further. That's why my office passed decriminalizing fines and fees in Berkeley, and that, need, that needs to happen for the state. So soon... That when police see your, your tags, they cannot pull you over for that in the first place. And if you get a ticket, it won't escalate. It will never come after you. Further, there's other rules, too, around your housing. When, when, you, when you end up in probate court, if you're, a, if you're a senior of limited means, they have so many things stacked against you, so many fines. They appoint a lawyer to, to, to caretake of your, your estate. They rack up a bill, and they seize your house. I hear this every single day. That's half of my family. Lost their houses due to injustice in the probate court. So my office, we passed the nation's first anti-displacement public advocate, a lawyer who will go into probate court and defend you. We need more of that. 
Yes, thank you. Uh, I also support this as well, and I want to talk a little bit more broadly about um, criminal justice reform. And we can't talk about criminal justice reform unless we talk about the racial inequities that exist within our criminal justice system. Uh, one in 17 white men will potentially go to jail, and one in three black men will potentially go to jail. You know, we are 5% uh, of the world's population and 25% of the world's prison population. Uh, while I think that we've had some good efforts in terms of Prop 36, Prop 47, Prop 57 to try to have some sentencing reform, we've got to do more. We've got to figure out how we can reduce our prison population, how we can close prisons down and invest that money into education, invest that money into restorative justice programs, things that help the community, not incarceration, invest in mental health treatment, drug and alcohol treatment, invest in second chance programs, and support um, uh, trauma recovery centers for victims. We have to have a real and honest conversation around this. It impacts all of our communities, uh, and I feel very passionate about it, and it's one of the things I want to go work on in Sacramento. I strongly support closing the corporate loophole for Prop 13. Uh, I signed this petition. My organization has signed on to this effort as well, um, Common Sense Kids Action. Uh, we're working to, get, to gather signatures. I think it's very, very critical. This would put $11.4 billion into our state budget, uh, much of which could be spent on education. I also support the fact that it has a small business um, carve-out, because I think small businesses have a hard enough time competing against the Amazon and Walmarts of the world. Uh, so I support this. I think it's important. That money could go to paying our teachers more. Our teachers are heroes. They need to make more money. Uh, we need to provide more professional development and training uh, for them. It can go towards early childhood education, which is very, very critical, one of the number one ways we can lift people out of poverty. Um, this money can go to a wide variety of things that I think are critical for education. I talk about it at every house party every single night across this district, uh, and I think at least in our district we're ready for this, and we need people to go to Sacramento to lead on this and to fight on this and to close the corporate loophole on Prop 13. Yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. <clears throat> Support that measure. I'm really hoping it passes because this is the big gap in our education funding. We used to be number one in the nation in per pupil education uh, funding and now we're in the 40s. And if we want to remain a, a national leader and even a global leader, that's got to change. And, and yes, so this is the, the biggest pile of money that we're going to get at to be able to, I absolutely agree with Cheryl, we need to start with uh, universal pre-K because by the time you're 18, we're already seeing those racial inequities in our education system. It happens way before then. And so, yes, we, the goal should be you know, universal all the way through to community college, but let's start at the very beginning. Uh, also, you know, I'm going to be a little heretical and say we should not be afraid to look at the residential side of Prop 13. Maybe not the same um, re repeal that we'd be looking at at the commercial side, but at least reassessing properties on a more regular basis with exceptions for low-income people who are perhaps housing rich and cash poor. You know, we want to be sensitive to that. But we also have a, you know, one of the skews in our housing system is that we have um, property taxes that hold, you know, are, are at the rates in the 70s um, until they change ownership. Thank you. Uh, I certainly do support it. Um, you know, my, my mother is an educator, lifelong educator, and she uh, homeschooled me uh, because the schools that I was going to, I was faced with inordinate amounts of racism where they tried to shut me down 
and you know, make me invisible like they do to black boys in schools. So I would say that yes, we need more funding, but that funding must be tied to some regional and social equity so that the same schools that get money now, it's not the formula that, that exists in the future. The money must be spread and the, the injustices of funding that we are facing in the state, which are criminal, must be addressed. Um, number, uh, question number six will go to Mr. Katz, Mr. Call, Ms. Thayman, and Mr. Petterman. What are your thoughts about the proposed legislation, SBA 27, requiring high-density housing close to BART stations, transportation nodes, and taking away local zoning control? I'll start off saying this is, uh, requires much more than a minute, but I'll do my best. Uh, the, the planning process is incredibly complicated, and it, it, local input matters. Uh, in, in terms of being able to talk about design that looks good, places that look good, that are healthy, that are livable, we need to ensure that, uh, that our system of having planning and housing uh, uh, still retains these important aspects of community input, community uh, uh, advocacy, and design. Uh, that being said, we have a housing crisis and we need to ensure that our cities, that our communities are, are allowing uh, the, the, the development to occur so that we're able to have housing production to, to uh, keep our, our, our communities together. We need to have affordable housing uh, to be a part of the solution. We need to have more housing being built as part of the solution. Uh, so I, I'm very uh, glad to see this conversation happening at, at the state level. I think it's important that the state play a very active role in requiring local jurisdictions to permit more, more housing and including more affordable housing. I think that, that the current legislation that's pending has a long way to go to, to get there. Thank you. Uh, I'm not ready yet to support that bill, but because the problem is so great, I'm going to keep my, my options open and keep my, my ears open. It's still early in the process. There need to be a, a, quite a number of amendments, and some of which I'll be actually putting forward to the author through, with, our, with the help of our planning department uh, before I can get to support that bill. But I'm not going to outright oppose it now because I think the conversation is important, and we do, in general sense, the goals of getting more housing at true transit hubs is a, is a logical idea which I support very strongly. So the details matter. Uh, I'm known to be someone who really gets involved in details of bills. This is a complex bill, so I'm getting involved in the details of this one. I'm not yet ready to support it. I'm going to keep my options open and see how, how it progresses and hopefully improves as time goes forward. I am proud of the work that I've done in Oakland uh, to be a leader on affordable housing. Uh, one, one of the, fir the very first ordinance I passed put in 25% of our former redevelopment tax funds called boomerang funds into our affordable housing tr trust fund. I helped take the lead and push to get affordable impact affordable housing impact fees on market rate developments so developers have to pay their fair share since they're going to make big profits. Uh, we need to do a lot more at the state level, local level, and I'm glad to be a leader on that effort. Thank you. I'm glad I got this question. Um, and like they said, it, it is a work in progress. Um, as an environmentalist, I would, I would much more, I would, I would much support uh, infill development rather than seeing our cities sprawling out into the countryside. I would like to see, I would like to see housing built around transit hubs, but, but local communities do need to con still have control. I would also like to see an insurance that there is low and very low income housing provided. And I think as part of any new development, 
there has to be a program where local residents are able to own their properties. Because even with affordable housing, that money is still, the money from our community is still going into the pockets of one developer. And when we have local ownership of our, of our housing stock, that money stays here. Our residents are able to build wealth. And that, that small amount of equity that people are able to build by paying rent to themselves is what can help some people climb out of poverty. It's that first step. Thank you. Thank you. Mr. Pettibus. So um, I'm going to echo a lot of what has been said already. I think I'm in favor of high-density housing, uh, especially around transportation hubs. Uh, it sounds great in theory, but in practice, there are a lot of uh, potential problems with it. Um, I think displacing, uh, especially like lower income families, is a big problem. Uh, like when we built the highway system, uh, a lot of communities were destroyed because of it. So we need to be very mindful of that. Uh, I do think that there is a lot of potential for um, designing our cities at the state level, but we do, again, need to have that conversation at the local level um, to ensure that our communities are intact, that the people are, that are being displaced are adequately compensated. Uh, because again, this, this typically, um, actions like these typically negatively impact uh, low-income families and minorities the hardest. So um, I'm all for it, but we just need to make sure that there are safeguards in place. Thank you very much. Question number seven will go to Mr. Poindexter, Ms. Wicks, and Mr. Bartlett. The question is, as an elected official, would you pledge not to take campaign donations from the California Sheriff's Association, which lobbies against sanctuary cities and criminal justice reform bills? Yes, yes, I'd be happy to take that pledge. Um, I think a lot about our campaign finance system. This is the issue that got me into politics. Uh, because any issue that, that you can think of traces back to campaign finance reform. And so we're left with this really weird situation where we all have to raise a lot of money to be competitive, but also we sort of get judged or at least kind of looked at askance if you raise money from the wrong places and, or get support from the wrong places. And it would be really nice if we just had a system where you couldn't influence people to the same degree with money. That's why I'm only accepting half the legal maximum uh, for a donation. Everyone here can take up to $4,400 from an individual source. I cut that in half to $2,200 because that's still a lot of money and still anti-democratic, but a little bit less anti-democratic. And so we need campaign finance reform across the, you know, through the whole state. One idea I'm very excited about is the idea of a, a voter dividend, where everyone would have $50 or something in that range that you could only spend on campaign contributions. And then all of us would have to you know, be fighting for those $50 from every individual. Well, considering that I spend my Saturdays and Sundays outside of the Richmond um, Detention Center talking about the sheriff and the, the, the women's prison and the men's prison in Dublin, I don't think they're going to offer me any money, so I'm pretty safe. <laughs> I'm pretty safe. <laughs> I'm pretty safe in saying that um, I, I think I'll take that pledge. And um, considering we're having a People's Tribunal on May 5th, <laughs> 
against the sheriff. I'm pretty safe in saying I think I'll take that, that pledge. Um, <laughs> I will certainly take that pledge as well as any other pledge that I will not only not accept money from um, that particular association, but I don't take money from any association that pledges any type of hate or discriminatory action against um, people of color or immigrants, especially since I'm in the immigration, I'm in the immigrant, <laughs> in the immigrant alliance. So I don't think I'll have any problem with that one. I will proudly take that pledge. Again, I don't think they're knocking on my door either or any of our doors, to be honest with you, here in 8015, which we're all lucky for. Um, but I think it's important, I, you know, on the campaign finance question, you know, I've taken no corporate contributions in my campaign. You legally can take corporate contributions, but I've chosen not to. Um, and I'm very proud of that fact. Um, I'm a big supporter of campaign finance reform. I support the Disclose Act and any ability that we can provide transparency around where our resources are coming from. It is a very um, strange system we have here in terms of politics where you do have to raise a lot of money. Um, it's unfortunate, but it's, it's the reality that we are in. But I support any mechanisms for campaign finance reform, uh, full stop, at the state and federal level. Um, I also support the sanctuary state bill, um, uh, which was just mentioned. Um, we have to do everything we can to push back against Donald Trump and his hateful policies. Um, and I think sanctuary state bills is one of those mechanisms. We have to not only protect our immigrant communities, but celebrate our immigrant communities. We are a nation of immigrants. Um, and anything that we can do legally um, uh, to, to, to um, celebrate that fact, I think, is very, very critical. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, well, certainly, I uh, would, not, would not accept that money. As a matter of fact, um, Berkeley is the first sanctuary city in the nation, and I take that very seriously. That's why my office uh, was the first to divest from Trump's border wall, which scared away all the major corporations from working on it, which has almost killed it. We also, my office, divested from any ICE contractors working with the Trump administration, which also scared away many other contractors. Um, and, and to the point of, uh, that Owen mentioned about the, the, the campaign finance reform, that's for real. Um, I hosted uh, the California Clean Money Fund, Clean Money, California Clean Money Campaign, years ago in my cafe in Berkeley. And I still, even up to last year, was the area representative for that same campaign. And I ran for a city council in Berkeley on Measure X1, which is public funded elections in Berkeley, and it passed. And it needs to happen for the state of California. And if we get there, we'll do it. Yes, I, I, I would gladly sign this pledge. Um, there we go. Uh, because, first of all, I think that, especially in Contra Costa County, we have a sheriff who met with, went and sat down with Trump uh, when he was first elected, so he was really proud of the fact. Uh, but, but as a council member, I have stood with the, the community uh, to, to, to fight against expanding the West County Jail because that's what they're doing. They are detaining ICE uh, ICE. I mean, ICE is detaining our residents, our, our immigrant communities there. Um, but I'm also, I, I feel that why stop there? You know, I'm the only candidate running on the platform of being corporate free. 
all of my, my yard signs, my, you open up my, my website, you will see Javanka Beckles, corporate free, people powered. And I think that that really is what uh, is, is the answer to, to really lots of uh, all the corruption and, 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 and lobbyists and folks who, who will eventually stall bills because they took so much money from, uh, from these corporations and, and special interests like the Sheriff's Department. Thanks very much. Uh, of course, I would happily sign this pledge. I don't think I'm going to get money from it anyway. Uh, in fact, when, I, when we worked on the, uh, the police uh, commission reform measure here with the, with the Police Accountability Coalition, I'm the one uh, on the council more than anybody else who stood up to the police officers' union and tried to push back on them. We got some things. We didn't get some things. But it was, a, it was a, an effort, and I'm not afraid to do that again at the state level. Uh, but let me talk about campaign finance reform just in, in general. I used to work for Common Cause. So public financing and campaign reform has been near and dear to my heart since I had a lot more hair on my head. Uh, in fact, I was the only local elected official invited up to the big Disclose Act rally up in, up in Sacramento back in August to, to, to testify and to uh, speak at that rally. And we got that bill passed and the governor signed it. I'm happy to be part of that effort and I will continue to be part of that effort overall. I'm a strong supporter of clean money elections. I, I plan to take up the mantle that Lonnie Hancock has left behind and we'll push for clean money elections. And that's one, one thing I'm very, very passionate about. I also will stand up more than anybody you could possibly imagine to the Trump administration. I, I, I pushed forward a, sanctuary workplaces. I stood up to Tucker Carlson on, on TV, and my time is up, but I'm a strong supporter of campaign reform. Thank you. Thank you. Question number eight will go to Mr. Call, Ms. Perdue um, Okimoto. I'm sorry, Mr. Call, Ms. Thayman, Ms. Beckles, and Ms. Perdue Okimoto. And the question is, you are asking for our votes because you want to see certain changes in California and our district. What is your theory of change, and how will changes you advocate for come to fruition? So a, a nice, very specific question. Uh, so so uh, thank you for that question. That, that is certainly a more than a minute question, but let me do my best. The best. Um, change happens not just because folks in Sacramento are working behind the scenes or working in committees, and not just because um, community organizations, coalitions, and activists work in a community, in this community, or any place else in the state. They happen because those folks have to work together. Um, Big legislation doesn't get passed because some legislator has an idea or takes someone else's idea, and they also don't get passed just because some coalition or some group of activists want something done. You have to work together. I've worked in coalition. I've built coalitions for over 30 years on complex issues, on popular issues, on esoteric issues, you name it, on big issues, whether it's campaign finance reform, consumer protection, uh, environmental issues, climate change, uh, on, um, or civil rights issues, on and on, on, hate crimes, on and on and on and on, and I would continue to do that. Right. My office would be a place where I will continue to be the advocate and activist I've been for most of my life. I'm not just going to say, oh, what's your idea? I'm going to actually be strategizing with coalitions to work on complex policy, big reform ideas. That's what my office will be, and I hope I have your support. Thank you. Who's next? Um, I, I haven't held a political office before, but I have spent a great deal of time uh, working in, in 
situations of controversy and bringing consensus. Um, as a special education teacher, I often worked in very um, emotionally fraught circumstances with a number of interests involved and, tried and, and made sure that I could keep my eyes on the prize and eventually bring everyone to agreement. Um, as an attorney, I advocate for some of our most vulnerable community members and I help them get what they need um, to stay alive sometimes. Um, my, my door would always be open and I would, I would act as that liaison between government and between the public to take ideas and turn them into, into action. Um, I also understand that all good ideas tend to cost a lot of money and a lot of my focus would be on restoring these fund funding streams like reforming Proposition 13 um, and looking at, at, at taxes that will not hurt the poor. So I'm not just uh, sitting here asking you for your vote because of things that I'm going to promise you I'm going to do when I get to Sacramento. I'm asking for your vote because of what I've already done in Richmond. When I talk about change, I'm not just some superficial, yeah, promises. In Richmond, when I saw the formerly incarcerated coming back to our city, not being able to get their foot in the door, I worked with the Safe Return Project, and we have the strongest ban-the-box policy in the nation. Change happens collaboratively. I listen. I listen to my community, and I, heard, I hear the, the, the issues that are, that are affecting their lives. For example, children can't learn when they're having to move and move and move because rent, you know, their landlords keep raising rent. So what, what, what I did, again, with the community is we, we enacted the first uh, rent control uh, policy in 30 years in the state of California. I also hear people struggling to make ends meet. So we raise the minimum wage. Richmond's minimum wage will be $15 an hour long before the state gets, to, you know, so change happens collaboratively and we have to listen and that's what I do. I respond to uh, the issues in my community. I have many visions for change. Change where we don't have to worry about the climate anymore. Change where we all have health care. But I think one of the things that probably motivates me the most is change towards racial equality. It's my vision that we attain true equality within our state, within our nation. And I think that it's necessary, particularly in the United States of America, we see a potential decline of our nation. And that decline comes from the fact that the status quo was built upon a majority Caucasian with everyone else below them. If we move in the direction of a majority minority and we still continue to have those same expectations where minorities were always less than, we will never be able to move forward together. Um, so if there, are, if there were two takeaways that I'd like you all to have from my campaign, it's, um, or, or two, two, two big pieces of change that I'd like to push forward, uh, it's increasing transparency and accountability. And I think that's exactly what we're trying to do with United.Vote. On that platform, you can see exactly how your representatives have voted on every single issue. Um, so that's the transparency piece. Uh, as far as the 
accountability piece, you all can also weigh in exactly on how you would like them to vote as a community. Um, but the biggest piece, I think, to that is uh, the biggest feature that's new and revolutionary is that you can also delegate your vote to someone, a personal representative who you trust. So you don't have to directly vote on every single issue. This, I think, would be an incredible tool for both you, the voters, or for any candidate um, who gets elected, just to know what your constituents want and make your voice heard uh, in the community. So uh, please, if you uh, would like to know more about it, check out united.vote, and we always appreciate feedback, so, uh, and we're trying to improve the platform, so let us know. Yeah, I love this question because, um, as you may have noticed, I'm, I'm running on an idea that is new to a lot of people and sounds bold and radical, and I, I get a lot of, well, you know, why don't you run on something normal? Um, but I think change happens um, by making a strong moral case when, you know, when you're running for office, when you're speaking in public, when you are or stating your case. And then when you get into office, then you can compromise. Then you can, you know, find the measures that work for everyone. But if we compromise before you even open your mouth, then, then nothing gets done. I mean, imagine if no one brought up single-payer health care just because it sounded too radical, even though we all think it's a good idea. And uh, along the lines of universal basic income, there are some good halfway measures we can take. I mentioned carbon dividend before. We could also expand our earned income tax credit here in California and then expand the definition of work to at least include caretakers who are doing the most important work that anyone does and often do it completely uncompensated. I think those are measures that could start to gain traction in the legislature we have right now. And I'm out of time. The only way that we create change in our society is from the bottom up. It's from grassroots organizing, and I've spent 20 years of my career as an organizer. Uh, I helped develop President Obama's organizing model right here in California that um, got him elected in the 2008 and 2012 campaigns. And I'm a big believer in organizing. Organizing is what brought us the women's right to vote. Organizing is what brought us the civil rights movement. Um, it's what got us our first black president. And it's what's happening right now across this country with these, these kids in Florida, in Parkland, who are showing the adults what it really means and what we should be doing in our public policy matters. Uh, I'm, a, I'm a big believer in organizing, and it, that is ex, uh, expressed in my campaign. I've been over 102 house parties across this district, 102 living rooms I've sat in this district talking with folks about the issues they care about, talking about our housing crisis, our education issues, and the challenges that we face. I'm having 27 house parties in the next 35 days. If you want to host me, I will show up at your house. <laughs> uh, it, I'm a big believer in it, and that is how we change our society. That is how we fight for a progressive vision, is through one vote at a time, one living room at a time, and one door at a time. I started out earlier telling you what happened 50, 50 years and one day ago, and I, I just want to tell you this. Change happens when you refuse to be well-adjusted to injustice. Change happens when you refuse to be well-adapted to indifference. And, and that's who I am. I've always been that way as a person. And change happens when you work with your community and you say, I've had enough. 
I've had enough as a mother, I've had enough as a daughter, I've had enough as a citizen, and I'm going to do something about it. And I'm going to go to Sacramento as a citizen warrior, una guerrera, and I'm going to fight all the injustices. I don't care about the occupant in 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue. I don't care about number 45. I don't care about resistance. I care about persistence. I care about demanding what is right for us. I care about going on the offensive now instead of the defensive. That's how change happens, when we go on the offensive instead of the defensive and we work together towards a shared vision and we go in and we take what's ours. That's how change happens. Thank you. Long question, so I'm writing it down. Um, I, I apologize. Would you would you please restate the question? Us. Um, I think it's um, I think it's it's criminal. I think it's wrong. I think it's deplorable. I'm a mental health specialist. I specialize working with children uh, from seven to seventeen years old, uh, and and I believe that. Uh, when children get into trouble, uh, we need to be providing them with the mental health services that they need. We don't need to put them in jail, behind bars, trying them as adults and keeping them there uh, for, for the rest of their lives. Um, what we are not seeing, though, is we're not seeing mental health services uh, being provided. And as a, as a mental health uh, professional, that it's my passion um, that we share this kind of information with the public, that people understand that the brain is still developing far beyond, you know, uh, 18 years old. Uh, so I absolutely uh, believe that we have to stop this very deplorable uh, action, and I think it's immoral, uh, and, um, and, and, and we need, I believe, we need more mental health uh, clinicians working to create the kinds of laws that we need. Thank you. I remember how, how grown up I thought I was when I was in college, and in high school even. And now looking back at it, I just think, oh my God. Like, those were some pretty crazy years at times. And I know that there are a lot of kids out there that make mistakes. And, you know, depending on your zip code, it depends on if you're going to get caught or not. And so to think about how many kids that were running around at UC Santa Barbara with me, same stuff going on in some low-income neighborhood, and those kids getting put into jail. <coughs> it's ridiculous. It's unfair. And once again, I know I've been talking about it a lot, it's racist. I've seen both sides, and it's not fair. And that's the kind of thing that I want to go and fight when I'm in Sacramento. I know that kids need care 
mental health care. And my time's out. I have a lot more to say about it. Thank you. Uh, I know, of course, I do not support tr uh, trying juveniles uh, as adults. Uh, fortunately, in Prop 57, which we passed and I strongly supported, uh, it took away the prosecutor's ability to do that, and now at least a judge has to do that. Still, still not enough. We need, we need to stop it altogether, but at least we went in the right direction. That was very important reform. We need to continue that reform efforts. We also need to really work on making what are now called juvenile detention centers or juvie halls, as we used to call them. Um, they should be juvenile rehabilitation centers, and we need substantially more money. So we talk about taking money out of our prison system because we have too much there. What we really need to do is redirect that money within the prison system because correct rehabilitation, juvenile detention, that's all funded in part through the prison system or through the, 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 county, uh, the county counterparts. So we need to just move that money from, from the, the, the prison guards and the actual beds to actual rehabilitation and reentry services. So if, the one thing, if there's one thing I'm going to get into the budget that's going to be new, that's more money for rehabilitation services in our state prisons and more money for reentry services in our counties, including it for juveniles, uh, whether it's high school education or, and so on. Thank you. Children who cannot um, understand adult consequences should never be tried as adults. That being said, 60% um, of the children that are incarcerated in our juvenile detention centers um, have disabilities would, that would be recognized um, and it would, have, would have had an IEP if they were in school. And uh, a great portion of them also have at least one diagnosed mental illness. Uh, many of these kids are there because they don't have caregivers. They're there because they act like teenagers, whereas if they had a stable family and they acted out, they would get grounded. Where they are, they get, they get thrown in jail and they get treated like the rest of the population. They're shackled when they need to go to the bathroom. They're shackled when they need to get their medicine. It's an absolute crime, and there are an enormous number of kids going through this. So we do need more resources. We need, we need places besides Juvenile Hall to put children who have been hurt already and are at the cusp of becoming people who might hurt other people. Um, we have an absolutely broken system for these kids. Thank you. Thank you. Ladies and gentlemen, this would be the place where we would normally finish up questions and go to closing statements. But because we started <coughs> late, I'd like to ask the consent of the candidates if they could all stay maybe in another 10 minutes. Is that all right? And would the audience favor that? Certainly, I certainly will. I don't think it's um, uh, really an admirable strategy to, 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 to burden already strapped school districts uh, with, a, with, a, with a funding mechanism that is the state's fault. And further, going a step further, you have to understand that this, uh, this whole projection of pension upside downness was a strategy to crush labor unions. You know, I spent yesterday with AFSCME, um, you know, working with them on their negotiations. 
uh, in the anniversary of Dr. King's assassination, and it was astounding the arguments the university is putting out there. And this is happening nationwide. It's a strategy to crack the working class and send us all into deep poverty. So we have to confront this right away and extend the protections that workers have, i.e. pensions, for everyone and really address our budget and make it work for everyone so that we're, we're not divided among those that have pensions and those who don't because that's a, that's a gambit that they're set up to make us lose. You know, my dad worked for the U.S. Forest Service for 35 years fighting wildfires uh, in the Sierra Nevada foothills, and uh, he's on a pension now. And I understand the value um, of pensions and how critical they are for families like my own. We have to do everything we can to ensure that we have um, financial stability for our retirees when they go and to get their pensions. Um, it's, it's very, very critical and important. Um, I think the other thing that we really need to figure out is how we increase funding for this um, and whether that's looking at um, you know, Prop 13 reform or some other way. What I want to make sure we don't do is put the, the, the weight of the burden on the backs of the workers, uh, many of whom have um, spent decades um, giving their life as civil servants um, across this country and across this state and in, in our communities. Um, so we're going to have to figure out a way to pay for it, um, uh, but we've got to do everything we can to make sure that we protect those pensions. Yes, I do believe that the state should take responsibility for uh, the, uh, the commitments that it's made uh, and that we've made to our public sector workers. Uh, who thinks here that teachers should be paid more money? I, I would think that, uh, that this is a serious problem, recruiting and retaining great teachers in our schools is a serious problem in, in, in the whole country. Think about what's happened uh, in, in Oklahoma where, where there's been so much disinvestment, so much lack of morale, uh, and, and I'm proud to, uh, uh, to, to be the son of, a, of two educators. My mom was a, a special education teacher, and I, I think that it's very important to have uh, strong compensation for teachers, uh, especially uh, our, our K through 12 educators in the state of California. So I do think that, uh, that that's, that's one element of the state being able to better support uh, our, our teachers, our students. Uh, we also need to see, a, a, in general, more compensation going to teachers uh, and, and more investment in public education. So in the legislature, I will uh, push to invest in our, in our school districts that need Uh, yes, I, I agree. This is the state's responsibility. Um, our, our public sector or workers were made a promise, and, and the state needs to live up to that promise. Um, and, and like Andy said, this is a matter not just of doing what's right, but also of being able to recruit good people to be our teachers and, and you know, the rest of our, to work in our public sector. And I also agree with Ben that, you know, it's amazing when you when you look at some of the uh, the messaging around the kind of people saying that, that um, you know, th this should fall on the public workers themselves. Like it's somehow their fault that, that the state kind of messed up their budget and it's falling on their backs. Uh, labor is weak right now. It's relatively strong in California, but it's, it's weakening across the board and a lot of people who don't like the agenda of the labor movement, they smell blood. And, and they're working in a lot of different ways to take down the labor movement. One reason I support basic income is because it provides bargaining power. Right now, our workers don't have a ton of bargaining power because so many people are so financially strapped, and this would be something to help fight back against that. Thank you, Mr. President. Would like to answer the 
since we're out of questions, I wanted to use my last card. Um, I think not only should they get their pensions, they should get a paid vacation. Um, my cousin's a teacher, my mom's a teacher, I work for an education startup, so in a sense I'm a teacher too. Um, I think our, Switzerland was the country that pays their teachers six figures a year. Um, if we're gonna, like, I think that's where we need to be. Like, that's the level that we need to be thinking at. Um, obviously this is a much longer term uh, issue, um, and there's all sorts of problems that need to be addressed, like modernizing our education system. Um, but I totally am in favor of funding teachers and paying them uh, what's fair because how, I mean, it's such an incredibly tough, tough job and we need to, um, if we want to attract the best people, we need to pay them fairly. So. Thank you very much. Question number 11, we'll begin with Mr. Katz, Mr. Penniman, Ms. Suttis, and Mr. Bartlett. The question is about health care. What are your policy goals in regards to health care and how do you intend to deliver on those goals? Please be as specific as possible and what about the California single-payer program? Uh, so we should have a California single-payer program. I, I love the way the question was phrased because I, I, I believe that we need to have universal health care for all and that uh, single-payer health care is uh, an important approach to getting uh, universal health care for all. It would uh, eliminate administrative waste in the current health care system, empower uh, our, our ability to have more affordable pharmaceutical uh, uh, prescription drugs, uh, and uh, we, we would also be able to ensure that we're all covered. Right now, uh, people who are undocumented, uh, pe uh, people who choose not to enroll in covered California plans, uh, we're not all covered, uh, and we, we need to all have universal health care. Uh, so I, I strongly support efforts to have universal health care. Uh, we do need to have a funding mechanism amended into uh, a single-payer bill, and I currently support uh, one of the proposals out there that would uh, have a corporate tax uh, exempting uh, smaller businesses. Uh, I, I, I would support uh, pairing that with either a payroll tax. I would favor that over a sales tax, which has been another proposal. Uh, but we can fund single-payer. We need to have universal health care for all. Uh, one minute is definitely not enough time to address healthcare. Um, I think I'm in favor of single payer. I think there's a lot of um, sp specifics that we need to iron out in terms of how to fund it, how to uh, deploy it, how to deliver it. Uh, one thing that I think we do need to remove is the profit motive, or at least roll it back to a certain extent with um, drug companies. I think, and one way to do that is revisiting intellectual property laws and how they uh, claim patents over drugs and don't necessarily innovate for, you know, to innovate, but just to maintain those patents. Um, I think it makes no sense that an Advil pill can cost $15 at the hospital. Like that just fundamentally is wrong. So um, I think there's a lot we can do. I think one, one specific thing would be to uh, uh, revisit intellectual property laws. I think the conversation about how we pay for it is actually a red herring in how not to pay for it is causing us more money in the end. And so I think that what we should be talking about is what are we going to get for our money? And so that's a better conversation. The one thing that I think is an, an absolute requirement in, in health care for all is that it includes as a mandatory is mental health services for everyone and mental health services from the time that person is born. And um, uh, there's a model and preventative health services as well. 
there's a model in um, Contra Costa, the Contra, Contra Costa Cares, that provides healthcare services for undocumented people and people 18 and over and people with low income that we can be looking at. But I think that one of the things that we need to, that is imperative that people understand is not having healthcare is much more costly than making sure that we have healthcare. And the federal government model that I've been, that I've worked with for the last 25 years is that employers pay people per hour into a healthcare fund. And so let's start looking at making sure that we everybody has healthcare because it's much cheaper. Thank you, Mr. Thank you. I'm actually very excited to answer this question. Uh, last week I passed my 45th law, uh, which I spent three months crafting, and it's a health equity an innovation district in Berkeley. And it covers the low-income areas of Berkeley and it leverages healthcare providers, startups, the universities, local nonprofits, technology companies to extend care and extend funding to those most out of reach of healthcare, the ones who are falling through the cracks with the, the generations-long health, health inequities. So that's we did that in order to form a template for the state of California because as we go to single payer, or universal, we've got to cover the people that aren't being covered now. And so this provides a good template for it. Also, in terms of extending care, you also have to attack the, the low-hanging fruit of fraud and waste. That's, that's Becerra is doing that right now by suing, by suing Sutter, and I support that. Uh, you have price fixing. You have, you have anti-competitive behavior. And then further, you have to address the pharmaceutical companies, like the young man said down the table. Uh, they are the biggest perpetuators of, of expense in our in our industry right now. Thank you very much. Right now in Assembly District 15, there is no place for cardiac care, no place to get treated if you have a heart attack. There is no place in Assembly District 15 right now for trauma care. There is no place in Assembly District 15 for burn care. And if they close down Altivate's hospital, there will be no place in Assembly District 15 for maternity care. This is because we lost Doctors Hospital and we might lose Altivate's hospital. A single payer system would help fix this. It would enable us to treat patients equally instead of very low for Medi-Cal reimbursement rates and very high for privately insured rates. And yes, we can do it. Yes, I believe in SB 562. What they've been telling you is it will cost $400 billion. What they haven't told you is we're already spending 368. And with, when we implement the system, we'll take that down to 330. We will actually save money. And I will tell you more about how we'll pay for it afterwards when you come up and speak with me. Thank you. Thank you very much. Any other wild cards? Um, question number 12 will go to, to um, Ms. Beckles, Ms. Thayman, and Ms. Pardue Okimoto. Question number 12 is California's Costa-Hawkins Rental Housing Act was enacted in 1995 to limit certain cities' rent control policies. Would you support efforts to modify or repeal it? Thank you for crafting this question directly uh, to me. Uh, I am the champion for Casa Hawkins. Uh, as many of you know, Richmond has enacted the first rent control 
policy in 30 years. We've managed, we managed to do that uh, after hearing this, the struggles that our residents are having. Um, but our hands are tied. Our hands are tied because we, because of Costa Hawkins at the state level. And that's really one of the reasons why I'm running for assembly. I'm running for assembly because we have to repeal Costa Hawkins so that, so that cities can have the powers to, to, to provide the, the, the most effective support uh, for their residents. Cities should have the ability to, to craft the kind of rent control that, that best suits their residents. And so I have, uh, not only am I a big champion for repealing Costa Hawkins, I've signed the petition. I was one of the first signers. Uh, and, um, and, and Richmond, uh, being the innovative city that we are, passing rent control, now we have to repeal Costa Hawkins. Rent control is one of the most important tools we have for keeping for keeping people in their homes. Um, I'm not. I have not read Costa Hawkins. I'm not entirely familiar with it. But I would say that yes, I would be at the very least um, amenable to reforming it if it is one thing that is causing problems with creating new rent control legislation, um, which I'm assuming it is. So um, I have to admit I'm somewhat ignorant about that that bill in itself, but I am a supporter of rent control and I do believe that it's an important tool. Um, I would, again, press further to have people who are low income and people who don't own their homes find creative ways to have them become owners of the property they live in so they can, they can build their wealth. Thank you. Yes, I believe in the repeal of Costa Hawkins. Uh, I was in Sacramento when they were visiting this issue, and I saw the disappointment of all the activists when they shot it down. And we know that there are most likely assembly members that were out there that probably got a lot of donations from the opposing side. Um, so, you know, I have pledged not to take any campaign money from those uh, sorts of organizations. And we in El Cerrito are also interested, and um, it would be very good if Costa Hawkins was repealed because we have a lot of rentals right now where we wouldn't be able to do anything because of the law. But we are also looking um, as a small city to see what we can do in terms of rent control, and I'm 100% behind it. The Costa Hawkins Rental Housing Act was passed uh, in a different era. Housing uh, was uh, much less expensive. Uh, this was before the first technology boom. Uh, uh, we, we need to, actually they called it a tech, uh, they called it a dot-com boom back then. Uh, now we're in the tech boom. Uh, and what I think we need to realize is that we, we are facing rapid change of our community character. We're facing a displacement of communities of color and low-income people. We're seeing uh, our, our, the next generation being unable to afford to live here. And that means that local governments need to have the ability to, to help implement policies that will allow for communities to be stable, to be, be able to stay within our homes. Uh, so the, one of the most effective ways of being able to combat rising rents uh, is, is to allow cities to implement rent control. 
Uh, we need to ensure that, uh, that the people can still afford to live here. Uh, that, that's all, that also includes having uh, just cause for eviction laws. We need to have uh, programs so that everybody who's facing eviction has the right to counsel and so nobody loses their home because they didn't have representation. Uh, so we, we need to do everything we can uh, at the state level to help people stay in their homes in affordable housing. Thank you very much. Our next question will go to Ms. Wicks, Mr. Poindexter, Mr. Bartlett, and Ms. Sutton. The California Values Act, SB 54, prohibits California law enforcement from assisting ICE, yet sheriffs are point posting the names of people being released from county jails, a signal to ICE to come pick them up. And Trump is trying to get Governor Brown to send the National Guard to the border. What role can an assembly person play in assuring SB 54 is enforced? Uh, I, I fully support the Sanctuary State Bill, which I discussed in an earlier question here. Uh, I think it's imperative. I think we have to do everything that we can within our power, um, our legal power, our legislative power, um, to push back on the Trump administration on these terrible and racist policies that he's trying to put forth. Um, the power of this really lies in the AG's office. Um, and it's up to uh, um, Attorney General Becerra to ensure that our law enforcement officials follow um, uh, uh, the, the sanctuary state bill. Um, and I think in certain places that's going to be easier than others. I think in some of these sheriff's offices it's going to be a lot more difficult. So anything that he can do uh, to ensure that I think is uh, what's going to make or break this. Um, anything that we can do, uh, and, and a lot of this again is, is, is in his office, um, to sue the Trump administration, uh, to protect our communities. Um, anything our local elected officials can do, uh, much like Libby Schaff and others who have stood up against this, and Daryl Steinberg and many other great leaders who have pushed back. Um, and anything our uh, assembly members can do uh, in the same vein, I fully support. I think we should be doing, uh, again, we are a, a nation of immigrants, we are a, a, a state of immigrants, and we should be proud of this fact, and we should protect our immigrant communities. And uh, echo a lot of what Buffy just said. Um, I absolutely support California being a sanctuary state, and I, I support just being public about the fact that we welcome immigrants, that immigrants made this country, and that the Trump administration, this isn't policy that you know comes from any kind of logical place. This is racism. He got into office on racism, and that's, that's his bread and butter. That's all he knows how to do. So yeah, we gotta fight back. And from the legislature, there's only so much we can do. Um, but one thing we can, one avenue we can work toward is employer non-compliance with these laws. And we need to support our employers so that they know the difference between an administrative warrant, which can come from ICE but is not legally binding, and a judicial warrant, which is legally binding. Employers are in a tough situation when the federal government is saying one thing and the state is saying another. That's not an easy situation to be in. And so if we provide resources and just, you know, make make it clear that we're here to support them and so that they can obey the law while not helping ICE deport more immigrants, um, that would be a positive step we can take. Well, certainly, uh, as I said earlier, you know, I believe in this. Um, I wrote the measure to divest from ICE, Trump's border wall. Um, you know, we need longer tables, not higher walls. Um, here's the deal. With this divisive activity by this administration, this rooted in racism, um, it's scaring away workers. Uh, our farms are starting to go fallow. Our, our housing production is suffering. Uh, you know, we, our, our economy is so great because we are open and we innovate in every single way, including with people. 
And to turn their back on that is an affront to what makes us who we are as Californians. So we have to double down on our identity and be who we are. And in terms of the Constitution, you know, we can, we, echoing Buffy, we can take a stronger stance from a constitutional argument and argue that these are our police powers as a state, not theirs. Okay, so I know this is my question, so I'm going to answer it from two separate standpoints. Um, SB 54 was passed by the people of the state of California. So the sheriffs have a job to do, and they have a job to enforce the laws of the state of California. It doesn't matter what their opinion is. It doesn't matter what their personal um, uh, uh, stake is. They have a job to enforce the laws of the state of California. And that is where the not only the governor and the AG, I'm going to take deference with that, they have a job also, but the legislator also has a job and they have a job to enforce the laws of the state of California. As a member of the Contra Costa Immigration Rights Alliance and of the AC, uh, on the board of the ACLU, my job is to help make sure that those laws protect every single person. And, and I'm also on the Polymigra um, uh, um, committee that we helped craft and help um, the uh, Contra Costa Probation Department and the Sheriff Department look over their, their rules and their regulations and make sure that they're following those policies. So we're watching them, and when they're not in Alameda and Contra Costa, we call them on it. And that's what we should be doing in the legislature. Thank you very much. I'm going to take a little um, moderator liberty and blend the last two questions. This will be questions for um, Mr. Kalb. Mr. Katz, Mr. Peterman, and it's a question blended of transportation. What state resources are available to repair and update main arteries, i.e. Martin Luther King Jr. Way, the widest street in District 1? How can we get access to these funds if you were our representative? And kind of connected sort of is, should drivers of electric vehicles be charged an annual fee? If so, why? Two transportation questions. Okay, uh, thank you for those questions. Uh, well, actually, the legislature passed, in a, in a, a two-thirds vote, a package called SB1 that pro provides a substantially more transportation funding to all cities and counties throughout the state, as well as to the state itself. And I, and I strongly supported that. I'm a member of the Alameda County Transportation Commission representing Oakland, and so we, we're supporting that. And there's an effort to repeal that on the November ballot. Please vote against that repeal. Do not sign that ballot, ballot proposition. That's a bad idea. Some Republican guy is putting that forward, is running for governor. So we need to keep that money going. Our, our, our transportation money from the state has actually been reduced over the past several years. In that package, it included uh, a, a annual fee of $100 uh, for electric vehicle uh, owners because they're no longer paying a gas tax. So it's not, it's not what I prefer to have, but that's in that package already, so we're not going to be able to undo it for the time being. Um, $100 is not that much so uh, for once a year. So it's not a great thing, but we need to get more electric vehicles on the road. I'm a strong supporter of uh, electric vehicle infrastructure. I've worked on uh, electric vehicle issues, zero emission vehicle issues for a long time. I'm going to be a leader on that in Sacramento, and we can access SB1 money. We are getting some of that already. Uh, so I, I support Senate Bill 1. I, I believe that Senate Bill 1 should have had more money for public transportation. And the next opportunity that we have as a state legislature to be able to invest in uh, new 
infrastructure and new transit operations. I will uh, push very hard for public transit operations. Too often, we do not include enough uh, funds to make sure that our buses can actually run. Uh, there, there's a lot of political pressure to uh, just fund the projects that are, are pretty ribbons uh, for, for elected officials to be in front of and cut. Uh, but we, what actually moves people uh, is transit operation funding. And I, as, as someone who's earned a master's in city planning degree specializing in transportation planning uh, and has advocated for public transportation over the years, uh, this is something that I'm committed to doing. Uh, I think we need to have uh, increasing incentives for electric vehicles. And while the, the, uh, the fee that's part of SB1, I Thing is what we have to live with. Uh, I think we need to wait a little bit longer for electric vehicles to become uh, more of the mainstay uh, before we start discouraging them. But we do need to eventually get to equity so that uh, all vehicles on the road are paying their fair share. Thank you. Mr. Peter. Um, I'm all for uh, funding for our Transportation infrastructure. I think we need more. Um, I need. We need to expand the BART system. Um, I also think we. I mean, I, it sounds like from uh, what the other two candidates said that the bill contains a fee for electric vehicles. But um, I think we, like longer term, those need to be incentivized uh, and subsidized even potentially uh, against uh, uh, what's it called. Um, I'm totally blanking on the word. Uh, gasoline cars, because I think the future is completely electric. I think it's completely renewable. I think we're all going to have something like a Tesla Powerwall in our uh, homes. So I think if anything we can do to push that future forward, uh, I'm for. Thank you very much. This is a time now for closing statements. We're going to go in the reverse order. We're going to go in the reverse order of how we began tonight, and we'll begin with one and a half minute closing statements, and that begins with Mr. Pegerman. Uh, okay, so first of all, I just want to express my gratitude for you all uh, allowing me to speak tonight. Uh, it means a lot, I think. Um, I was looking at the statistics. Millennials are the, or had the lowest voter turnout in 2016 by uh, age. Uh, and I think uh, we as, an, as a demographic, we need to start stepping up and start taking more leadership roles. Obviously, I'm not as experienced as the rest of the candidates here. Um, I don't have as much political experience. This is my first campaign. Um, and I'm learning a lot from it. I think it's, it's great to be able to talk to people like you all. Uh, you are all the people we're targeting for United.Vote to participate and make your voices heard on that platform. You're all politically engaged. You're all politically savvy. Uh, and we need to elevate all of your voices. So uh, if there's one goal from this campaign, it's to, to do that, to push this platform forward, to modernize our democracy. Um, you know, one statistic is, uh, or not statistic, it's just a number. It was 66 years between the Wright brothers first flying the airplane and landing on the moon. Uh, and the rate of change has only increased. 66 years from now, I have no idea what the world is going to look like. Um, but when I, I'm fighting for the ability to build that world and build it in a way that's inclusive and just allows everyone to have their voice heard. And if I know that when we can put, like making decisions is hard. Making decisions collectively is even harder, but that's what I'm fighting for. Um, and thank you all for your time. Thank you. Mr. Katz. The assembly member from Assembly District 15 needs to be a champion 
for our progressive values. We need to be we need to be represented by a member who will push and fight for more affordable housing, for environmental protection, for workers' rights, for criminal justice reform, for universal health care. And I'm someone who has uh, spent the last 20 years fighting for these progressive causes, ensuring that we have a, a, a leadership at, at the local level, at the state level, uh, and even the international level for some of these issues. I've represented uh, environmental organizations uh, to ensure that we could have a, a, a clean and safe environment, uh, including uh, participation in the UN climate negotiations, getting more renewable energy in the state of California, protecting our climate. Uh, at, at, in the city of Berkeley, when the, we had a big debacle over the minimum wage and whether we would have uh, a minimum wage policy in the city of Berkeley, I intervened and guided negotiations to get uh, a, a conflict between two competing ballot measures to resolve into a unanimous city council vote for a $15 minimum wage with paid sick leave. As a workers' rights lawyer, I fight for working people every day uh, to address the discrimination, harassment, uh, and unsafe workplaces that are out there on the street. I fight for consumers facing health insurance denials. I see where our law is working, and I see where people are, are flip, slipping through the cracks. And that's why I'm running for the state legislature, because we need people who are experienced and ready to lead. Uh, so please elect me as that leader so that I can fight for you in the state legislature. Thank all the organizations who are sponsoring this for, for their efforts and their, their good work. I also want to acknowledge my wife, Valerie, who's here today, one of our a state public defender. Uh, she does great work. Um, I, I want to thank you all for being here today, and I want to ask for your vote. Uh, I have over 30, nearly 35 years of experience being an activist, an organizer, an advocate, working on public, a range of public interest issues, environmental issues, consumers, civil rights, housing issues, and, and others I just can't remember off the top of my head. So I have a lot of experience working on those, including 10 years experience actually in Sacramento, working on climate policy, good government issues, environmental health issues, and a range of other things. And, and I know how to actually get, get things done. Experience does make a difference. I'm the person who can get, get to Sacramento, hit the ground running from day one, and really represent the values, the passions, and the policies of the entire East Bay, including, especially the 15th Assembly District, which is where we are today. Um, I, I'm very proud of my endorsements. I'm the only candidate endorsed by the Sierra Club. I'm endorsed by Mayor Libby Schaff, endorsed by the East Bay Express, by two members of Congress, several state legislators, and a whole host of community leaders up and down the East Bay corridor, and I, I'm asked for your support as well. Um, I do want to say that one of the things that we have to do in Sacramento is stand up to Trump. It's not just verbally stand up to Trump. We have to uh, pass policies that provide backstops uh, in case, not in case, but when Trump goes back backwards on his policies, which he's already beginning to do. We have to push forward in the courts, in legislation, and on the bully pulpit to make sure we are the, the California we all know us to be. And I will be a leader in that effort as I've been in the past. I don't, I don't just talk the talk, I've walked the walk. I'm proud of my accomplishments in Oakland, and I'll do a great job in Sacramento if I have your support. Thank you so much. I believe that healthcare is a human right. I've spent the last 17 years as a nurse at Alta Bates, and we are experiencing a healthcare crisis within our district right now. It is my duty to bring this to your attention because you may not figure it out until you are the one in the ambulance or you are the one in the helicopter because there's no place to take you. So. It is very important to me that when I go to Sacramento that we make sure that everyone across this state and ultimately everyone across the nation has health care. 
Join me and the nurses this week. We are going to canvas. We are going to meet outside of Altibates Hospital, 4 p.m. on both Wednesday and Thursday, and we are going to canvas the neighborhoods to keep Altibates Hospital open. Please join us. When I go to Sacramento, I will fight for health care. I will fight for education funding. I will fight for criminal, criminal justice reform. I will fight for climate justice. I've been endorsed by the California Nurses Association, the California Legislative Black Caucus, Tony Thurmond, our assembly member, former assembly member Sandra Swanson, our, my local firefighters, 1230, and I ask for your endorsement as well. Please join me at rochelle8015.com. Thank you. Thank you all for being here and, and listening to us. Um, this is a really talented and bright group of people, and I'm, I'm honored to actually be part of this group. If I weren't voting for myself, I'd have a really hard time picking somebody to vote for. Um, I've spent most of my life working as a teacher and advocate for our community's most vulnerable populations. Um, and as your assemblywoman, I would work for everybody. Um, Advocacy is, is part of who I am, figuring out what needs to be done, coming up with problems, bringing consensus, and solving the problems is what I'm good at. Um, I don't have political experience to draw on, and I know that's important, but I believe that I can rapidly gain it. Um, again, I'm honored to be here, and thank you very much for listening to what I have, have to say. And if you want to know more about me, there is lots of information out there on my website. Thank you. Javanka for Assembly is a people-powered campaign. It's modeled after the Poor People's Campaign that Dr. King was preparing 50 years ago, and just before he was assassinated for challenging income inequality and the exploitation of working people that continues today. We're carrying on this fight at the local levels and in, in our communities, and now we have the opportunity to take that fight to Sacramento. Hope kicks the soul into motion. Dr. King knew that, and we know that. I don't have celebrity politicians and big money backing me. I have ordinary everyday people and grassroots community-oriented organizations that work hand-in-hand -hand with you, the people, every single day. Organizations like Our Revolution, Women for Justice, multiple unions, multiple environmental organizations, multiple progressive regional and student organizations and leaders. They stand with me because of my proven revolutionary track record of standing with the community and standing up to corporations that pollute our democracy. Together, we can take back our government and insist that it works for us. 8015 is the most diverse district in the state. Let's come together and elect the most diverse candidate that will fight for us. You can read more about my platform at javanka.org. Our campaign is corporate free and, and people powered. So please sign up to volunteer, invite me to meet your neighbors, and of course donate what you can to help us win. And I say us because this campaign is not about me. It's about our collective power and us having a seat at the table for power. Thank you. I think we're gonna fight about who's the most diverse. Um, <laughs> um, I, I'm, you know, as a, a, a Puerto Rican black woman, Muslim, um, 
this is very important that we not only elect somebody who has experience, because I think we can argue about who has experience, but who has and who has the ability to get things done. You know, as a mother of three children, three black and brown children, two sons at Morehouse. One just graduated who's an MBA student, one's an engineering student in his third year, and a 16-year-old daughter who's just graduating Albany High. I think I can get things done. As a woman who is a Muslim, black, brown woman who is probably the worst threat to this person who's occupying 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue, who's been a professional woman who's negotiated half a billion dollar deals across this world, who's lived in Germany and South America, and who negotiates at a high level as a senior director and who's been in P&L positions, I think I can get things done. So let's not pretend that only one or two people on this panel can get things done. As a mother who's been on numerous, um, uh, numerous leadership positions in schools and, and citizen bond oversight committees and getting work done as a working woman, I think I can get things done. So the, the real thing is who has the passion and the pride and who has the ability to represent different sectors of our community and still come back and have la voz de la gente and serve de la gente, serve the people and have the voice of the people and still know who they are at the end of the day. That's who you elect. That's who you know. Thank you. Thank you. Mr. Muchas gracias. Uh, Por nada. <laughs> Mi hermano. You know, listen, uh, right now the stakes are super, super high. You know, yesterday or the day before, MIT came out and said that America is now officially a developing nation. And we know that in 35 years, the average American, average African American is going to have a zero net worth and a 15% literacy rate. And then 15 years later, the average Latino, Latina, will also have a zero net worth. That's where we're headed right now. Today, there's at least 150,000 homeless people in California. And that number is expected to grow by 3 to 5%, three to three, by a factor of 3 or 5 under the Trump budget cuts. That's happening right now. That's because the status quo has failed us and continues to fail us. If we're going to fix it, we're going to need new ideas, new leadership, new people. Bold ideas, innovation rooted in deep, deep conviction. And that's what this candidacy represents. I'm from here five generations. My family fled slavery to come to this exact neighborhood. And we've been fighting for it ever since. And now the fight's ready for the next level. But I need you. Join Jesse R. again, the mayor of Berkeley, and Ron Delms, former congressman and the Rumford family, and support me to deliver a new future for our people here in California. Thank you. Thank you very much. Mr. So, <clears throat> you know, politics can get so, so mired in incremental change that we've come to see it as something that is just there to patch over problems and, and never do it in a really complete way where the problem doesn't come back. We're, we're just kind of stuck in this pattern of making things a little bit better, but not really better enough. And you know, there comes a time when you have to, to wake up and see things anew. And that's why I'm in this race. I, I feel like AD15 needs to be the district that leads California in becoming a, a leader to, uh, to really address what's going on, where we have 
20% of this state is in poverty. Another 20% is near poverty, which is, which is not a whole lot better. What if the state really invested in the people of California? And that means universal health care. That means a strong education system, one of the best in the nation. And it means letting people decide their own destiny a little bit. There are so many people who are, are just stuck with whatever job they can get, and that's where they are unless they can uh, you know, be that like 0.1% that somehow breaks out of that, we need to improve those odds. We can invest in people through measures like universal basic income that will allow people to take back their own lives. Thank you. In 2003, when I was an organizer in the anti-war movement, I got a call from a very good friend of mine who said, I just tested positive with HIV, can you pick me up from the clinic? I drove to the clinic in the Mission District. I sat down with him and the nurse, and I learned about T cell counts and viral loads. We got into my car, and he said, I don't have any health insurance. And this was the week we started dropping bombs in Iraq. And I just got really angry at the priorities of our nation. I decided I wanted to see the table when our country was making these decisions. Seven years later, almost to the day, I was working in the White House, working for President Obama. My job was to build the progressive coalition to help pass the Affordable Care Act. I sat in the Roosevelt Room with the President that night when the votes came in on the ACA. And when the last vote came in and the whole room erupted in applause and the President started giving everyone hugs and high fives, I looked across the room and I realized that my friend would no longer be considered a pre-existing condition and he would get the health care that is his right. And I also realized that we have the ability to actually pass progressive public policy that helps people. That is why I'm running for this seat. I believe we need leaders right now stepping into the arena who are pushing on a bold progressive agenda. I believe that I have the experience, the skills, and the relationships to go to Sacramento and to do just that. I've been endorsed by Kamala Harris, Gavin Newsom, Alex Padilla, uh, the East Bay Express, many great local leaders, hundreds of community leaders across this district. I've done 102 house parties, as I've mentioned. I would love your vote. I would be honored to have your vote and your support. And if you'd like to have me in your living room, I will also show up uh, to your house. Thank you. Thank you. Good evening. I first want to um, apologize for being late. I had another commitment that I couldn't get out of, and I really appreciate the League for allowing me to give closing, uh, closing statements and really welcome any of you to come up and ask me any of those questions after the forum. I'm running for this office because we really need to have a strong voice in Sacramento. Now is a critical moment in our history where we really need to make progressive change, and I'm the person who I believe is best suited to make that change. I want to address homelessness and address affordable housing and housing and, and, and um, strategic and positive development. And I, have, I can do that because I spent years working with homeless people and with affordable housing when I first got out of law school and planning school. I want to address the problems of our criminal injustice system, both in sentencing reform, in conditions that are, are the uh, terrible conditions that are, um, that, are, that are incarcerated people face in prisons, and to give people a real chance when they get out of prison. And I can do that because I helped helped Van Jones start the Ella Baker Center for Human Rights, and I worked for, for over four years at the Drug Policy Alliance. I want to work for our families, and I can do that because I was the executive director of our family coalition for 11 years, and I'm the per candidate who is the most equipped to help move our, our education, our public education system forward. I'm on the Berkeley School Board now, and I've been working for 10 years to close the achievement gap and give our students a real chance for, our, for success. I want you to join the California Teachers Association, the California Federation of Teachers, Van Jones, um, 
the new Senate pro tem, Tony uh, Atkins, and many others in supporting me uh, in this race for uh, AD 15 to represent you in the assembly. Please go to judyappell.com and check out more information about me. Thank you so much.